Hello, and welcome to the Launch Notes podcast. I'm Steve Klein from Launch Notes, and I'm thrilled to be joined today by Christina Weiss. Welcome, Christina, and thanks so much for being here. Thanks for having me, Steve. Excited to be here. Yeah, for sure. So you've had a super interesting career. You, you kind of started as a software engineer. You're now an American working abroad in Austria, and now you're, you've gotten into some consulting and communication, stakeholder management teaching. Give us kind of a quick walkthrough of, you know, kind of where you've been and where you're at now. Yeah, definitely been a bit of a, a roller coaster. I've worked in startups most of my career. Like you said, I started in, in engineering, transitioned into products a little bit accidentally, which I think happens to a lot of people. Yeah, you know, they sure. needed to fill the role and I was there, but then I loved it. So I stuck around. So yeah, I've, I've worked in product leadership roles at a Two different companies, both in the U.S. and then now in Austria and the EU. And in the last year and a half, I've been consulting and coaching, and then have also launched a course on, like you said, communication and stakeholder management because those are the things that I I see often as being topics of conversation, as challenges, and that I think are so important in product. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Tell me more about the switch from software engineer to product. Like what? What made you interested in doing that in the first place and how did you find that experience? Yeah. So for me, it was a little bit, well, coincidental. I was looking to move to Austria to live and live there with my now husband, boyfriend at the time, and I needed a visa. <laughs> so I was very open to whatever jobs were coming my way. Yeah. And I had talked to a company who said, Hey, we're looking for somebody in product, you know, would you be interested? And I said, Sure. You know, looked into it a little bit, discovered it was actually quite aligned with what I was looking to do and sort of got me closer, I think, to the, brought, took the things that I liked about working in engineering and, and got me closer to sort of the product and decision making and strategy. So it was a, definitely a happy coincidence. And yeah, I've been there ever since. Nice. Okay. And then you had a few jobs kind of escalating all the way up to like chief product officer. Give us a kind of a quick walkthrough of, you know, starting it presumably kind of like an entry-level PM all the way to moving up? Like what were the, what was that experience yeah. like? What what were the things that you feel like kind of enabled you to kind of move up the ladder there? Yeah. So I definitely bounced around a little bit. I think especially in smaller companies, there's a lot of sort of quick growth, you know, within as the teams grow, as companies grow. Mm -hmm. And, and I was lucky to, lucky enough to sort of pretty quickly get up to that management level. I worked for a few companies, largely in the health tech space, one in EdTech, one in connected microphones, actually. So if my sound quality is not awful, that's, <laughs> that's why I'm <laughs> using one <laughs> of those. And yeah, I think, you know, a lot of it came from having that technical background was really helpful. Understanding, you know, how to work with engineers, how to talk to engineers definitely helped a lot. I think having the, I, my background mm -hmm. was in healthcare and I think having that subject matter expertise also was, you know, helpful in sort of and moving up as well. And then, yeah, I think this, you know, it all comes back to communication as you'll, <laughs> you'll hear me say a lot throughout today. Yeah. I think having some of those, you know, often called soft skills were definitely a lot of what sort of helped me grow in my career. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And we'll get into this more a bit later, but I think also that man, having that kind of domain knowledge, that background in healthcare, I think can I'm sure it's kind of really helped, helps you to kind of know the customers, know the market, all that good stuff. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. And then, so, okay. So finally moving out of that into doing more consulting and teaching a course, what has that been like? It's been exciting, stressful and, you know, exhausting, mm -hmm. but really, really fun. I think it's, 
you know, I, I love the flexibility of being self-employed. I love working with a lot of different companies, a lot of different people. You know, I think I, I, I get bored easily. So I think mm -hmm. being a consultant and a coach and, and teaching lets me sort of, lets that sort of not be a weakness, right? It's something that I can sort of, I can use that sort of excitement for new things sort of <laughs> for the better. So yeah, I get to work with a lot of different companies. I work with, you know, founding teams, individual PMs, product teams across a whole mix of fields, which has been really fun and, and a nice change to be able to sort of use what I've learned, but then, you know, learn so much more as I go. And mm -hmm. a lot of what led me to the, the course, especially was just seeing that, you know, you, I've seen a lot of things in my career. And then now as I work with more companies, you see a lot of the same things over and over. And I think especially mm. when I started consulting, I started to see so often that, you know, somebody would, a company would come or a founder or a product lead would come with some sort of problem or challenge they were facing that they were looking for a consultant to, you know, come in and support. And no matter what it was, it felt like ultimately if you drill down, it came down to some sort of communication or mm. team dynamic issue. So I started to see more and more sort of how much that sort of level and, and those topics came into the conversation and came into sort of challenges that lots of companies and people were facing. So I've sort of moved further and further in that direction and, and it's hard stuff, right? It's not the sort of thing that you necessarily sort of learn in school or can like pick up a book on and, you know, have frameworks about in the same way. So my goal mm -hmm. is to try to make it a little bit more accessible and kind of more framework driven since it's such an important topic in products and beyond, but especially I think in product. Yeah. Yeah. I totally hear that. The soft skill side of things, it, it feels a little nebulous at times. So exactly. yeah, I'm really excited for you and your course. I, I think a lot of people just the way their, the way their brain works, their learning style is very like, I need, you know, I need a framework. I need step A, yeah. step B, step C. And the soft skills can be hard to put in to that kind of framework sometimes, I think. Exactly. But yeah, I, I think it's awesome that you're that you're kind of trying and give, giving those people, uh, yeah, a, a resource for how to think about that a little bit better. Yes, yes. fun topic okay. for sure. Yeah, yes. Okay, so speaking of your course, one of the mm -hmm. outcomes in your course is around getting buy-in more efficiently from, from stakeholders, from the decision makers, which we're gonna be talking about today. Mm -hmm. I, I think this is a huge topic. Having- yeah. Having influence when you aren't necessarily the final decision maker is a problem that, especially as PMs, we run into all the time. Talk to me about just kind of what, what does this mean to you and, and why is this so important for PMs? Yeah, I think, I mean, it's, it's so true that it, it is such an important topic, I think, really in any role that you might have, but especially in products, because it is the sort of role where you end up communicating with so many people, dealing with so many stakeholders, you are, are often sort of the, the center person, point person for so mm -hmm. many people, conversations, you know, coordination, et cetera. But you might not be somebody managing a team, running, you know, a whole department, whatever it might be, which makes that harder, right? It's certainly easier. Well, there's, of course, lots of challenges to leadership, but having the power to make decisions and to sort of you know, change the course of something is a lot easier when you have the power to make decisions. So I think especially as PMs, it's easy to get sort of stuck in that in that middle where, you know, you are, there's a lot that you need to influence and sort of have to influence, but you don't necessarily have that, that sort of final say. And that I think is a really, can be a really uncomfortable place to be, but it's something that is so important to the role, right? You can't really do product in a vacuum. It doesn't matter how good you are at 
at so many components of the job. If you can't get, you know, stakeholders on board, executives on board, if you can't sort of convince everyone that your sort of strategy is the way to go. So being able to, you know, do that a little bit more efficiently and, and learning some tools and tricks and ideas to make that more effective, I think can go a long way to taking the stuff that you're really good at and making it easier to, you know, influence others. Yeah, couldn't, couldn't agree more. Let's dive right into that. Imagine I'm a rel relatively new PM. I want to make an impact at the company I'm at. Walk me through kind of what are the things that go into that? Yeah, I think so what it ultimately comes down to is communication and trust. I think those are sort of the two things that, yeah, that I end up you know talking about, could talk about forever. And that I think are ultimately the things that really matter most in product. And especially when you talk about sort of how to to make that influence and get buy-in. Because mm -hmm. if you can't communicate well, if you can't communicate you know, with different types of people, then mm -hmm. it doesn't matter how good your idea is, right? It doesn't matter you know, how great this feature could be. Mm -hmm. And very relatedly, I think if you can't sort of build trust with the people that you're working with, it's also going to be harder to, to make that influence and, and make those changes. Um, mm -hmm. And and that's hard, I think, especially when you're younger or, you know, more junior or newer to a role. And it's something you really, really want to build the foundations of early. I think even before you think about, you know, communication, other tactics, it's that trust building that I think is so, so crucial. Gotcha. And, okay. Yeah. And can be complicated, especially in remote companies. Because, yes. you know, you lose a little bit of that sort of interpersonal, you know, water cooler type of thing. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. I think humans are wired for that, that interpersonal connection, that face-to-face, -face. there's so much that happens in relationship building that's kind of based on exactly. body language and, and really experiencing the person in front of you. So yeah, yeah. couldn't, couldn't and agree more I with think, that. And having, having more kind of casual conversations, right? I think it's, it's hard to get to know your team and sort of start to build that trust. If you, if the only touch points you have are, you know, let's review this document or let's, you know, try to accomplish this thing. Right. I think of course you get mm -hmm. to know people's work styles and, and, you know, roles and all sorts of things. But I think, you know, you do lose a little bit of that getting to know each other a little yeah. bit more deeply or a little bit more sort of, you know, outside of, of work mm -hmm. in a way that is hard, you know, not to say that you have to, you know, become best friends or get sort of really personal with your colleagues. That's certainly not, you know, doesn't have to be the way that you do mm -hmm. it, but I do think that having, starting to build that relationship, right? Having, you know, grabbing a coffee, whether it's virtual or in person, you know, sitting down for lunch, having some sort of team building activities. These mm -hmm. are the sorts of things that are definitely easier to lose in a remote setting, but really for can sure. go a long way to start to build that trust and make everything that comes after a little bit easier. Yeah. I think that goal needs to be kind of the whole point of company offsites in a, you know, mostly remote world, taking the time to really talk to people about their personal lives, getting to know them more, you know, doing fun things together that aren't just, I think it yeah, yeah. goes so far. And I think it's easy, especially if you're new at a company for that to feel like not work, right? So, mm -hmm. you know, oh, I don't want to bother that person or, you know, I have so much to do. I don't have time for that. I, that's, you know, totally understandable. Of course, you know, we're all busy. And of course, especially when you're new, you want to sort of be trying to make an impact quickly. Mm -hmm. But I think we have to remember that that is actually, that is work, right? And it's so, so important. Yeah. If you can, you know, get to know your teammates, how they work, what they do, who they are, you know, a little bit more, 
once you have to go to them and ask for something or, you know, say no to them about something down the road, all that stuff is going to be much easier if you've sort of put the time in, put the work in earlier on. Mm -hmm, for sure. Okay. So yeah, getting to know people personally. Yeah. So those are some great kind of general, you know, general tips that apply to anyone around building that layer of trust. Talk to me a little bit about what product managers can do, kind of specific activities or practices or rituals that they can use to start building that trust with kind of their peers, other stakeholders, their managers, things like that. Yeah. So I think, first of all, it's if sometimes you have to be proactive about sort of putting time on the calendar to talk to people that you want to connect more with. I think that's a good place to start if the culture or sort of the setup is such that that is not necessarily, you know, the foundation, you know, especially with your manager, with the, the team that you're working with frequently, and make sure you do have those touch points to, you know, build those relationships and, and just work more closely together. I think if there's, you know, the more you can show that you are doing your job effectively, the easier that that comes as well. I think, of course, you know, always harder when you're new and starting out. But you know, if you can, you know, take notes during a meeting and then sort of summarize them and, and share some insights that come out of that. I think also starting with some of these kind of like quick wins can be a good way to show, mm -hmm. um, you know, you're, you're part of the team, you're sort of doing, doing your part and, and sort of putting in the time and energy to, to work with the others and sort of build that up. I think when it comes to stakeholders, especially, which is, you know, specifically thinking about people maybe outside of your team who are mm -hmm. either internal or external that are going to be crucial to, you know, your product, your work and that sort of thing. There's some good frameworks for thinking about sort of who they are, who's important and how to sort of work with them and engage them. So using some of those, there's something called the, like the power interest matrix and a few things yeah, that, tell me about that. that, so that's kind of a, it's a, one that's pretty simple, but I find it really helpful for thinking about just who are these stakeholders and you know mm -hmm. where should you be kind of putting your time and energy to work with and communicate with people especially outside your team so the power interest matrix just basically is kind of a visual for graphing stakeholders into four categories so it's four quadrants you know mm -hmm. how powerful is somebody you know at the company and then how interested mm -hmm. they are with not necessarily sort mm -hmm. of your product overall. Of course, everybody is probably <laughs> at least somewhat interested there, but in especially more in sort of the, you know, nitty gritty of it, the day to day kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And so if you think about, if you can sort of think about who the key stakeholders are and then, you know, where they sort of fit into this type of, of quadrant system, you can give yourself a, a, you can give yourself a bit of a framework for thinking about where you need to spend your time and energy and how you might go about engaging with different people within that system. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense. Kind of a, kind of like a two by two of exactly. And yeah, just... <laughs> the, the higher up they are in the org and the more interested, does it kind of designate like, oh, here's the kinds of activities or like the way you want to think about exactly. these people in the loop. Yeah. There's mm -hmm. some, some great resources out there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We can, I can link to something yeah, in the show notes. Cause I think that, yeah, it just gives you a bit of a framework for, I think, especially when you talk about, you know, communication, getting buy-in, building trust, it can feel so nebulous as you know all things kind of communication mm -hmm. so having just a few kind of simple ways to think about it in a bit more of a concrete way i think can be helpful for for some people i certainly find it helpful <laughs> yep yeah yeah i think there's so much there just around keeping keeping further out stakeholders kind of in the loop just like i mean to me the hallmarks are like loop them in early give them i think sometimes people just need a while to kind yeah. of come come around to the idea not feeling like I think people can feel when something is sprung on them. I think their exactly. immediate reaction can be defensive, kind of 
oh, I need to protect my own, my yeah. time, my kingdom, my, you know, my, what, my, whatever, what else comes to mind for me? Kind of always starting with the, like the why you're doing it. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of a one-two punch. It's, it's the why you're, you're doing it. And hopefully you can kind of find a way to couch it in the goals or the things that that person finds important. Exactly. Um, and I, I think so much mm-hmm. of communication in general and all this relationship building that we talked about ties into that as well, because you need to, so much of this is about, yeah, figuring out sort of what's important to people and then making sure you're framing, you know, your ideas, your suggestions around that, right? Make it, mm-hmm. make it compelling for them, not just for you. Yeah. Any kind of like, I can be allowed to keep track of like, what does everyone else find important? Any like specific practices or anecdotes come to mind of how you can kind of keep track of like the, you know, this person's goals are X, that person's goals are Y. How do you, how do you think about that? Yeah, I think you're right. There's, I think that's the problem with, or a challenge of being a product manager. You have so Mm -hmm. many stakeholders, so many people with so many different, you know, ideas and and perspectives. There's definitely, I think I've seen a few, and I'm forgetting the names, but maybe also resources that we can link to because I've seen a couple of good sort of templates for just sort of super simple, you know, a, a spreadsheet template for tracking, you know, who your key stakeholders are and, you know, what's really important to them. I think using some sort of really simple tool like that can be helpful for just, you know, having it written down so you don't forget. I think another thing that can be helpful as kind of a framework is, is I like to use what's called disc profiles, but it's basically one of those behavioral profile assessment type of tools. Mm. And it's the sort of thing that can be helpful for giving you a sense of sort of where people are coming from and how they work, Mm -hmm. which I think can be a helpful framework for just making, giving user, giving actually your team, if you can use it a bit more broadly, kind of a shared vocabulary for talking about, you know, perspectives and, and communication and styles but can be also a helpful way to kind of bridge that gap between, you know, you, your stakeholder, what's important to them, and then how you sort of go about, you know, communicating with them, working with them, that sort of thing. Yeah. Do you focus a lot on kind of the whole disc profile thing in your course? I do, because Mm -hmm. it's a helpful way of, yeah, just thinking about, you know, actually, I think first what's helpful is that it helps, it's can be a really good way for you to understand yourself, your own working style, your own behavior, your own communication, Mm -hmm. which I think, you know, is harder than, than it sometimes feels like it should be. <laughs> but I think doing that sort of assessment to understand your own style is a great starting point. And then to do mm-hmm. it, to think about the people you work with or have everybody take that sort of assessment. You know, there's lots of different variations. I think that's a, a helpful one because it's not as complicated as some of the others. Mm-hmm. It can be a good starting point there. And I found that it really resonates with people. And there's actually a book and the sort of framework I use relates mm-hmm. all the profiles to birds. So it lets you, it makes it a little <laughs> okay. bit more <laughs> clear, yeah. right? So you have like the parrots okay. who are really outgoing and social and huh? you know the owls who always ask, you know, why and, and want to know <laughs> reasoning. Yep. Yep. That's sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, okay. Exactly. Which again, yeah. sounds kind of silly, Yeah. but really it's it a helpful, helpful mental model. Like exactly. Yeah. 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 Okay. So we, we've talked a lot about kind of, you know, some of the basics of building trust. And I think that to me, maybe one of the the biggest ones is truly being an expert on the customers and the market and, and having a strategy and vision for the product that's, that's based on those customer insights and, and knowing the market conditions. Talk to me how you think through some of those things. Yeah, that's, it's so true. I think, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't matter if you're really good at, you know, communicating, if you also don't have that sort of underlying 
understanding of what you're working on and what you're aiming for. Mm -hmm. And I think especially when it comes to strategy and vision, so much of that is so closely tied into getting buy-in and sort of evangelizing and, and getting people on board. Mm -hmm. So I think that's also a place where sort of storytelling skills can be really helpful, right? To think about, you know, how do you convey your vision, your strategy to people in a way that's going to be compelling to them, which again, can depend on who the audience is, right? Um, mm -hmm. Whether that's based on, you know, their, their behavioral style, whether that's based on their role and thinking about sort of how to most effectively communicate the story you're trying to tell to those different audiences can go a long way. And there's some really good sort of templates and sort of story formats that you can use. Mm -hmm. Pixar, you know, is obviously the a great storyteller. And there's some really interesting like TED Talks and articles and templates that are based off of that, the sort of models that they use that can be helpful mm -hmm. for thinking about, you know, your product and how you, you know, explain it to people. And yeah. I think you're right. So much of it also comes down to being able to pull in the data, being able to bring in sort of customer quotes, customer understanding, because that's of mm -hmm. course what all of this should be, you know, driven by. And it's also going to make your sort of pitch a bit more compelling. If you can have real evidence of conversations you've had with customers of, you know, analytics you're seeing from usage or, you know, results from user testing, that kind of thing. Yeah. You've worked in a few product leadership roles. What kinds of what kinds of things have you done or like practices have you implemented for your teams just to kind of make sure that they're getting kind of that continual face time with customers? Yeah, it's, it's hard, especially at smaller companies. It can feel like there's so much that needs fixing that, you know, customers are just going to be, you know, looking for solutions that you unfortunately can't give them. And so I think you have to really get into that mindset of sort of learning and curiosity and mm -hmm. trying to understand where they're coming from. Mm -hmm. And, whether that's, you know, I've worked at companies where different product team members have either temporarily led customer support or worked on customer support, sometimes just because there were not enough people <laughs> to actually, you know, fill the role, mm -hmm. but partially also because it's such a great way to learn about your customers yeah. without, you know, having to have a structured sort of environment for, you know, user research. And so I think that's a great place to start, right? If you're at a company that doesn't really prioritize talking to users and you're trying to start small, talk to your customer support team, see if you can mm -hmm. sit in on a call, you know, or the sales team, right? There's lots of other departments that might already be communicating with users or potential users. So if you can sort of leverage that a little bit or, you know, watch recordings of it, that kind of thing, that can be a great place to start. Mm -hmm. And then I think you just have to schedule time to talk to people, right? I think. You know, having worked at a lot of smaller companies, sometimes that's just, you know, that was like an executive sending emails to a few, you know, power users or to people who, yeah. you know, were at risk of churning or who had churned. I think that sort of just individual outreach can go a long way to just getting, you know, people involved and to, again, sort of start kind of quickly, even if you don't have a super structured process mm -hmm. and then make it part of the routine, right? I think it's easy to... Yeah. Again, like with, I guess, like with getting to know your teammates, it can be easy to feel like, oh, I don't have time to talk to users, right? I have like things. Yes. To so I think if you can sort of start that culture or sort of build that, that like muscle of making it a habit, it'll be easier to keep with it and, and make it something that everybody is doing. Mm -hmm. Yep. Totally. Yeah. I like to say like, it's hard, but it's the job. Like if yeah, you, <laughs> if you want to be a bodybuilder, you got to work out every day. And if you <laughs> want to be a good PM that, that truly knows the customers, yeah. I just feel like it's, it's such a virtuous cycle. The more you talk to customers, the more you really know what they need, yeah. 
the more you're able to de deliver results, the more you're better able to influence the things that you do. So, so true. And it's exciting. You get to see people really, you know, using your products and sort yeah. of interested in, in talking about it. Yeah. There's some it's great. great benefits. <laughs> Yeah, it's. I, I think it's super energizing. One just kind of story. So I was the co-founder of StatusPage.io back in the day, and the founders did. I mean, we did support for the first ye like year plus. It's such an easy way to just get kind of yeah. constant exposure to customers, and it leads to it's not you're not just like solving the immediate problem they have. It's always like okay, it's that, and then while we're here, talk about the problem that they're having in general. How how their overall experience with the product has been. It's such a boon of just discovery and insights. And I think a lot of people want to like grow up too quickly yeah. when they don't have product market fit yet. Right. And they're like, oh, I, I need to hire someone to do support as quickly right. as possible so I can just build, build, build. And I guess there's some room for that, but I mean, but it's also, you're, I think you're giving up so much of them. Um, you're giving totally up your lifeline, agree. your direct yeah. line to your customers. Um, yeah, I had to... I had to take on at one company I worked for, actually the, the microphone company, I was relatively new and mm. I don't know anything. I did not know anything about microphones, right? Bluetooth connected devices, you know, audio was all new to me. Um, mm -hmm. And I took on the interim customer support role just because it needed to be filled. Somebody had left and, you know, we were scrambling and it mm. was terrifying and stressful. And, you know, I got a lot of people telling me that things weren't working, <laughs> but it was, first of all, the best way I could have possibly learned about my own products quickly Yes. Um, yes. and the best possible way to figure out what people really, you know, like struggled with or learning, you know, were using or not using. Yeah. So wouldn't change mm -hmm. it for the world, but the, yeah, it was an adventure. <laughs> mm -hmm, for sure. Okay. We've, we've talked a lot about trust. One of the other big pillars that you had mentioned is around communication. And we've touched on some parts of that. Any, anything else you wanted to cover there? Let's see. I think so for communication, the big thing for me is that I think it's easy to assume that everybody has the same sort of normal or the same foundation, but I think that's mm -hmm. often not the case. And I think it, that's when things can get sort of messy. And that's actually a place that I think moving abroad, that's what made me, got me extra interested in communication because mm -hmm. not mm -hmm. even just learning a new language, but just realizing all these things that I saw as kind of communication norms were suddenly a bit different. You know, as the American, suddenly I realized my emails had so many more exclamation points than everybody else's emails, yeah. which, and that's obviously sort of, you know, a silly, not <laughs> majorly problematic mm -hmm. example, mm -hmm. but I think it, you know, we don't all have the same sort of basis of what communication looks like and how we do it. And that's also true, you know, across different roles, across just any different people, right? Some people might think a really short email means this person doesn't, you know, care to spend the time, you know, mm -hmm. reading what I wrote. Somebody else might think I'm sending this short email because I want to have this conversation in person because, you know, that's how I think and work better. Whatever. Mm -hmm. I think there's just a lot of different ways that people communicate and being sort of as proactive as possible about having that kind of meta conversation about communication and realizing yes. that, you know, your own style might be different than somebody else's and mm -hmm. that's not good or bad. It's just different. Yes. I think it's really important and it's easy to overlook. Okay. Yeah. It, I mean, it reminds me of every, every time I respond with a one word answer to my wife <laughs> via text, she's like, Oh my God, what did I do? Are yeah. you mad at me? And like, <laughs> What do you mean now? It's just right, a, no. <laughs> the most efficient way for me to answer your question. Exactly. Okay. So how can we, yeah, put that kind of into context for me. What do we, what can we do about that? Are there 
principles yeah. we can fall back on yeah. that, that help with that problem? So I think first of all, giving and receiving feedback well, right, or effectively mm -hmm. is really mm -hmm. crucial, right? There's a lot of companies where it's just not, it's not sort of the norm to give or be open to receiving feedback. And so I think asking for feedback and being open to feedback is really important and can start to sort of build that culture mm -hmm. with the people you work with. Um, mm -hmm. I think also, so I, a lot of people I think now are starting to put together, especially when, when people are remote, it's kind of like a personal user manual type of thing where, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. these are my working hours. This is, you know, how I prefer to be contacted when something yes. comes up, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. I think mm -hmm. just being right. It doesn't have to be a secret, right? We can be sort of upfront about this kind of stuff. Um, right. And I think trying to set meetings and brainstorming and, and planning situations up to work for as many people as possible can be helpful, right? So like, I, for example, I do my best brainstorming and thinking in writing alone. So if I'm only in sort of meetings where we're all sort of at the whiteboard, I'm not going to mm -hmm. be my most sort of effective self. That's not to say that nothing should be, you know, a whiteboard meeting, but I think to, just to think about, you know, how, how do I think and work best and how might others and how can we sort of set situations up to work for all of us? So, you know, can I, can everybody think something through in advance and then we all come together to discuss, can our meeting mm -hmm. have, you know, a 10 minute pause for individual brainstorming and then we reconvene? Is there some sort of written component? I think there's mm -hmm. not, there's not necessarily a right or wrong way, but I think just keeping that sort of thing in mind, just realizing that there are these differences and there are some ways that we can sort of work around them or work with them will go a long way to making everybody more effective. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I think that's so interesting. I think when we were, I think it's so interesting now, especially as we've had this giant kind of move to remote. I think when right. most people were in an office, it was just kind of assumed all of the norms, all of the ways that we work were just kind of you know, assumed everyone's kind of doing the same yeah. thing. And it just feels like, oh, that's not true anymore. And I think yeah. to be a good leader at a company, you need to be, you actually, and I don't think this comes naturally to a lot of people, and certainly not me, you need to be proactive about finding what everyone else's communication methods and learning methods are and, and providing a way to do work in ways that work well for everyone. Exactly. So I think that's super interesting. Yeah, I think that proactive piece is, is the key. And I think you're right. It is, mm -hmm. it's especially important in leadership because it has it, you're building a culture, whether you mean to or not. And so the, mm -hmm. the, the more proactive you can be about making it a situation that will work well for everybody, the better off you'll all be. Yeah. So presumably disc profiles comes to mind as like a way to, to do that, to kind of, you know, start thinking about those things and how other people can relate to that. Any, any, Quick tips or anything else people can do there? I think, yeah, disc profiles are great. There's also some interesting content around then how you, how different types of disc profiles communicate differently. And mm -hmm. that's helpful as kind of a, a, you know, some concrete ideas for how you might adjust. I think this kind of user manual or really sort of getting it, you know, make it easy for people to discover how other people work and communicate. I think the more mm -hmm. you can sort of have that in writing, right? Whether that's part of onboarding or part of some sort of, you know, team drive, whatever it might be, just making it easy for people to find that information goes a long way. Mm -hmm. And then I think, yeah, if you're in a company where that's not really the culture and you don't really have the power to change that at scale, just being as kind of, you know, upfront and sort of conscious about 
your own style of working and, you know, talking about it, I think can go a long way, right? You know, hey, I'm gonna put together a document before we meet because I always, you know, think better in writing. I'll share it with you and then we can talk it through. I think, mm-hmm. you know, to start with something as sort of relatively simple as that can go a long way rather than just sending somebody a long document who might feel like, oh my gosh, now I have to read this whole thing and this is, I hate this. Huh. Right? I think there's little things you can do to sort of set that scene better for everyone. Mm-hmm. For sure. Cool. Okay. got a bit of a, a quick fire round for you. Yeah. Just little questions kind of around this topic. Anything in particular that you think new PMs should do maybe in their first few months to start off on the right foot in terms of communication styles, laying the, laying that groundwork of trust. I think the number one thing is building those relationships. So what you want to spend Mm. your time on in the first days, weeks, months is getting to know people, having those meetings, understanding where everybody fits in, what they care about, and then making sure that you really sort of take that in and you can use it Mm -hmm. in the communication and work that you do going forward. Okay. Okay. I'm having this idea of like kind of this like triangle of like outcomes you can shoot for. Some people are kind of in the camp of like, get, you know, get quick wins, ship something in your first 30 days. Some people are in the like, go on a, go on like a customer tour and learn everything about your customers. And then, and then there's that, the really get to know your, your peers and stakeholders. Is it your opinion that people should kind of shade towards that, towards <laughs> that build relationships with people or how, yeah, do, you, how do you think about the trade-offs of Because they are totally all very mm-hmm. important. Um, mm-hmm. And it's probably a cop-out to say that you should be in the middle of that triangle. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I think in terms of all of this communication and trust building, I think that, that I guess, top yeah. you know, piece of it is so key. Mm-hmm. But I think like we've talked about before, and like you said before, being able to show that you you know can do your job and understand customers also is going to help build that trust. So you certainly yeah. can't you know, ignore those other two mm-hmm. uh, points. <laughs> yeah. My, okay. My hot take is I think the quick wins thing is overrated. I think if you want like enduring impact at the company, like the relationships and then knowing the customers and like starting with setting yeah. the time for those is... Yeah, more important. Yeah, just my, just my take. Um, okay, what can people do if, if in terms of influencing the roadmap, getting you know, or or getting resources for the next you know fiscal year? What can people do if management's very kind of heavy-handed or micromanagey? Like, wh- what are the troubleshooting tips for this? Yeah, that's a tough one because it is hard to, extra hard to influence when somebody else is like really, mm-hmm. you know overusing their authority. Mm-hmm. I think this comes a lot then down to sort of understanding where people are coming from and what's driving them. I think this is, mm-hmm. you have to sort of manage up to your manager to sort of work around them, not not work around them, like go around them, mm-hmm. but sort of try to figure out how to, to, you know, why are they micromanaging you? Are they, is there something that they're really worried about? Is there a, you know, a goal that they feel is, is you know, too, lofty and they're afraid that you're not going to hit it is there you know i think if you can sort of try to figure out as much as possible where they're coming from and why and then direct your communication and sort of the way you frame things towards that the better off you'll be again it's easier said than done i think that's Mm -hmm. if you're working with somebody who's not open to you know to letting you sort of work and grow, it's, it's obviously going to be more challenging, Mm -hmm. but I think that's when you can really sort of test out, you know, that kind of storytelling, that kind of data usage and that sort of thing to, 
to sort of try to frame things differently. Yeah, we didn't we didn't touch much on the the data usage as a way to kind of influence. What are the yeah. how do you think about kind of the highlights of those? Like, what is what does that look like for IPM? Yeah, I think you know that's one of those things where it's different things resonate with different people. But mm -hmm. I think especially if you're looking sort of upwards, being able to use mm -hmm. data to prove your point is going to go a long way, right? So if you, it's much easier to say, you know, I think that we should make this change because, you know, we've seen X number of people doing this thing versus I think we should make this change because, you know, it's somebody else did it or it's seems mm -hmm. interesting or whatever it might be. Mm -hmm. right? I think that, that using, yeah using data to just support your claims is, is going to go a long way. It doesn't have to be necessarily, you know, really elaborate quantitative data, right? Just because you don't yeah. have maybe access to a lot of analytics, or if you're, you know, a new product, a new company, mm -hmm. I think you don't have to feel you, you can still use data, even if it's, you know, I talked to a user or I talked to five users and I found yeah. out X, Y, Z, right? I think even sort of anecdotes or qualitative data or sort of pulling learnings from user conversations or customer support tickets, that kind of data can also go a long way to supporting your ideas. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, that's kind of the Holy grail, that blending of, you know, of anecdotes of product usage yeah. data of pulling in third parties, like support right. and sales to kind of bolster your arguments and blending all that together through a story is kind of how I think about just kind of the Holy grail of Yep. Right. Of all that. Okay. We covered a couple of these already, but any other specific processes or rituals or customs that come to mind to help you do this? I do think, I think whatever sort of team building or team, you know, casual conversation type things you could do, the better off you'll be, mm -hmm. right? There's, I know there's a lot of like Slack add-ons or I can't remember mm -hmm. what they're called, Slack things <laughs> that you can use to, yeah, yeah. you know, set up like random coffees or sort of yeah. pair you with somebody to, to meet with mm -hmm. using this kind of thing, or just, you know, reaching out to people to, to set up, you know, some sort of trivia thing or whatever it might be, right. Having yeah. as more, as many kind of more casual conversations you can encourage, especially remotely, the better off you'll be. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. and then I think going back to what we talked about with, with stakeholders, just using some of the frameworks around identifying and prioritizing your stakeholders and keeping track of, of who they are and what, what their goals are is going to be a helpful process just to, you know, keep your head on straight a little bit. Yeah. I, I was doing research for this ahead of time. One thing a friend offered up that I've never done, but sounded really interesting is having, having kind of like a quarterly check-in with like your, not just your boss, but like your boss's boss and just kind of that whole, that whole network of, you know, yeah. decision makers in the company, even if it's just a light, like, Let's grab coffee once a quarter. I'd love to pick your brain about like how you think about the company goals and success. And I can offer up a little bit about what we're doing to try and achieve that. And um, I think that kind of hits yeah. at the, uh, what you're talking about, about just building that, that base layer of trust kind of across right. the whole organization. I, th I thought that was yeah. a super interesting. Yeah, it, doesn't, it doesn't always have to be, you know, your direct manager, your direct team uh, mm -hmm. talking and networking with other people, even a bit further away is also going to be helpful and can be, you know, good to sort of get people thinking differently too. Yeah. Especially if you're kind of younger in your career and you're thinking about your career progression, like, you know, your boss's boss's yeah. boss is a few levels away from you now, but who knows in five to 10 years, you're going to be a lot closer to those people. They're going to have an influence in, in what you work on. So Right. Yeah. So working on establishing that early, I think is great. Okay. Last one. And we can wrap up here. What do you think are the most common failure modes for PMs? 
and how do we fix them? What do PMs get wrong most often in, in this? Yeah, I think so. I think a lot of it is communicating too little, too late. I think you touched on that a bit mm -hmm. earlier, but it's it's easy for people to end up sort of on the defensive or you know frustrated with something if they don't feel like they're in the loop or they don't know what's going on. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so I think for a lot of people, you can sort of if you sort of lean towards over communicating, especially early on when you're trying to you know build trust and you know build up your sort of role, that can be helpful, right? It doesn't have to be anything complicated. It can be, you know, do you have a dashboard somewhere? You have a document people can access, you know, a weekly email, whatever. But I think making sure you're keeping the relevant people up to date enough is, yeah. is important. And then mm -hmm. I think another one is, is not, is not sort of reasoning correctly, right? Not explaining reasoning correctly. Mm -hmm. I think, and again, this comes back to sort of different styles of communication and different types of people. But if you are, you know, communicating the same way to your executive as you are to, you know, one of your engineers, something is probably going wrong, right? The, the level of detail you need to explain, the level of, you know, explanation, the just the way that you're sort of sharing that information is going to be, or should be very different. So I think it's easy to sort of either go into too much detail or not enough detail for different people. And I think it's yeah. important to sort of try to really be tailoring your communication to your audience. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Kind of talking at the right altitude for the person exactly. you're talking to. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. Don't need to get too far in the weeds with, you know, people that are maybe a few levels up, but yeah. Another one kind of last thing that comes to mind around the communicating early that I think is particularly relevant in this situation with, you know, market's not doing well. It's been like a lot of layoffs. It's, I think it's likely that a lot of companies maybe aren't going to be hitting their third quarter goals, right? Is that when things aren't going well and you're not communicating early, I think it's kind of human nature to assume yeah. the worst, unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, yeah so I, th I think heading that, heading that off and really just kind of setting the foundations of, Here's what I'm doing and, and why just goes yeah. so far. That's a great awesome. point. I think especially for leaders at this point, but for, for everybody. Yes. Yeah, being yeah. and also being attuned to the fact that yeah, everybody's, you know, we're all human and we're all trying our best. So, you know, assume the best yeah. and, and figure yeah. out how to sort of, you know, work most effectively with everybody and and also yeah, keep in mind that there are gonna be ups and downs and challenges just because of, you know, life. <laughs> yep, for sure. Awesome. Well, cool. Okay. Where, where on the internet can people find you and tell us a little bit more about your, your course and how people can learn more about that. Yeah. So my course, the next cohort of my course is launching in November. It's all online. It's a cohort based course. So you also get to meet some, you know, cool other product managers. So if anybody's mm -hmm. interested in talking and learning more about communication and stakeholder management that I, hopefully we could also include a link to that it's through Maven. So you can also find me there. Mm -hmm. I'm also active on, or sometimes active depending on, on the week on Twitter. And mm -hmm. I, yeah, I think if you Google my name, you'll find my website. If anyone's looking mm -hmm. for consulting or coaching or just likes to talk about communication. Great. Cool. And we will link to all those things in the show notes as well. Make it easy for everyone to find it already. Well, Hey, thanks so much. This was a lot of fun. Thank you for having me. It was great. Hey, Blake here again. Thanks for listening to this episode of the launch notes podcast. If you work on a product team, whether you're in product management, product marketing, product ops, or any other supporting function, go check out the Launch Awesome community. 
hundreds of the top product minds from companies like Google, Atlassian, Twilio, and more are in the community sharing their expertise every day. This free Slack community is a great place to connect with and learn from real product leaders, actual practitioners who are in the trenches building and launching products at some of the most exciting startups and SaaS companies around. To join, head to the link in the show notes or just do a quick search for Launch Awesome and it'll come right up. Finally, if you're a fan of the show, don't forget to subscribe so you'll be first to know about new episodes. And of course, we'd be thrilled if you left us a review. Reviews not only help other people find the show, but also just lets us know which content you find most valuable so we can create even more of it. Thanks again for being here.